How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him because I am shaken, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 13, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Soul Keeping is our current teaching series, kind of working our way through various psalms. And we're going to talk about Abandoned by God. That's the title of this weekend's message. Psalms is a medicine chest for soul healing and keeping. And I need a lot of that. You probably need a lot of that too. And... Uh, I'm thankful that we have a resource, God's Word, and even more specifically, the Psalms. Whatever you're going through, there's a psalm for that. And uh, this psalm, Psalm 13, was probably written during David's difficult years of exile when King Saul was trying to kill him. He was promised the, the throne, the crown, and now he's thinking he's going to be killed, he's going to be murdered. And so Saul, King Saul, is after him, trying to kill him, and David was feeling abandoned by God. Let me ask you this question. Just think, just for a moment, have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? I know I have. I'm sure you have. And... Um, it's interesting in the minor prophet Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah was trying to get away from God, and he thought being abandoned by God was desirable. He was running the opposite direction. God had told him he wanted to go and preach to the Ninevites, and he just says, I'm out of here. I'm going the other way. And he thought that that would be desirable to be abandoned by God. But when he was thrown into the sea, swallowed by a great fish, and finally experienced the horrible feelings of being abandoned by God, he compared it to hell right there in Jonah 2 as he cried out to God, this is hell, and indeed it is hell to be abandoned by God. That's what hell is. Feeling abandoned by God is more common than most people want to admit, and uh, the reason we're not quick to admit it it's because we're afraid most of our friends would shake their heads and wonder if we're even a Christian. I mean, imagine if I were to go, we were to go catch, get some coffee at a local coffee shop and I hung out with you and then I just said, hey, you know what, I need to tell you something. I'm feeling abandoned by God. I mean, what would you think? Pastor Ray, you can't feel abandoned by God. You're supposed to help us not feel abandoned by God. Well, guess what? I do. So help me. Help me to, to get through that. And, and, and so, I mean, we're not... You know, we're a bit hesitant to even say that to anybody because it almost sounds like, oh, my goodness, do you even know God? And yet, uh, let, me, let me just say this, that 
everyone, you have either felt abandoned by God, there's been a time in your life where you felt abandoned by God, or you're right now feeling abandoned by God, or it's just a matter of time, you will feel abandoned by God. You will have those overwhelming feelings that, where are you, God? This is what Psalm 13 is all about. Now, what's interesting about this is that David is a giant in Scripture. Would you agree with that? A man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14. Yet we find David talking about feeling abandoned by God. And in fact, chapter, chapter 12 He's crying out because he feels abandoned by his family and friends. And now in chapter 13, as if you couldn't go any lower, now he feels like God has abandoned him. That's how he's feeling. Faith is not the absence of questions, doubts, and fears. It's, it's really about bringing your questions, doubts, and fears to God. That, that is faith. Struggling with God over the issues of life doesn't show a lack of faith. Listen to me. That is faith. That is faith. That's what David is showing us. And so the question here is, what do you do when you're feeling abandoned by God? He's going to help us to walk through this process. You need the tools. You need to know how to do this, how to process this. Because I've seen people never recover from this. I've seen people defect from the faith over this. So you need to know how to work through and process those feelings. Now, one of the things that I teach is uh, in communication. I've taught this for years, the very early years of, of Desert Breeze, is that there are five levels of communication. If you want to grow in your uh, deep you know, relationship with others, whether it be in your marriage or small group, or in your friendship, you have friends that you want to go much deeper. Most of our relationships are pretty superficial and shallow, and so I, I'll teach these five levels of communication that will help you to take it much deeper, and the first one would be cliche conversation. That's kind of common. That's what you'd have with your grocer. You go in, and you see your grocer, same person that checks you out, you know, most of the time as you're getting, buying your products at the grocery store, and you might say, hey, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. Okay, and that's about the extent of it, okay? And that's, that's pretty superficial. Hi, how you doing? Good. Have a great day. Okay. That's cliche conversation. And now each of these require a little bit more, uh, a deeper level of trust. And so the next level would be uh, sharing of facts. Maybe with your grocer, you might say, hey, man, it is hot out there. It's 115 degrees. I can't hardly, you know, manage it. It's really hot. So that's sharing of facts. So cliche conversation, sharing of facts. But then the third level is sharing opinions. Opinions. This is where where oftentimes relationships crash and burn, okay? Especially if you're talking about politics, okay? And what happens is you just get into this big fight and then you go back to cliche conversation, sharing of facts. And then if you get back into opinions for a little bit, you might heat it up a little bit. And that's oftentimes what happens in relationships. But the much deeper level, cliche conversation, facts, opinions, is to go deeper into that relationship by sharing feelings and needs. Feelings and needs. And that is what we have with David He's sharing his feelings and needs with God. In fact, you'll see three big ideas here in this. So what do you do when you're feeling abandoned by God? You tell him what you're feeling. That's verses one and two. And then you ask him for what you're needing. That's verses three and four. And then you trust him to fulfill his promises. That's verses five and six. 
very easy outline. And you almost see, you see this transition in tone as you work through this. So let's deal with the first one. Tell him what you're feeling. That's verses one and two. You tell him what you're feeling. Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So that's what we want. We want nearness with God. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. That's what we want. And so he says, so that's why it tells us that the Lord, Yahweh, is near. Intimacy with him. Yahweh is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. What is this truth? Well, you have to call on him consistent with who he is revealed to us in the scripture. You can't just make up a God and believe that you're going to have an encounter with him. It's got to be consistent with the truth of how he's revealed himself to us. But also, we know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So you also have to do it through Christ. We can only have relationship through him. That's John 14, 6. But there's something also, not just, not just consistent with his character and consistent with who Christ is and how he makes the way for us to have relationship with him, but to call on him in truth means to be authentic with him, to be real with God. And when you are real with God, he will be real with you. God will meet you where you are, not where you pretend to be. You got to get rid of the pretense. And you just, it's this just raw emotion is what we see here. He's just pouring his heart out to God. Don't dull your feelings with amusements and distractions that promise but can never deliver blessing. Take those feelings to God. Take those to God. That's what David is, is modeling for us here. And so Psalm 13 is uncensored prayer straight from the heart. Now, let me ask you this. How many psalms, there's 150 psalms, but how many of those psalms would you say that are specifically lament, grieving, like, like this psalm? How many do you think? I think there's a pretty high percentage of, of these psalms. Yeah, in fact, there are one-third of these psalms, so 50 of the 150 are lament psalms, are lament psalms. That's pretty significant, pretty important. And this is what you need to keep in mind. No one, no one will ever grow deeper, stronger, wiser apart from God working passively through our feelings of abandonment. You're not going to grow, you're not going to mature unless you go through a time of feeling abandoned by God. God will use that in your life. You have to allow him to use that in your life. Now, how do you handle your feelings? How do you handle your feelings? This is part of what he's, he's actually teaching us here. We see this in the Bible. I talked about it last weekend. The traditional view is, it's more legalistic, suppress your feelings, it's duty over desire. Remember we talked about our identity last week? So the traditional idea, and it's taught you know, in many churches, they won't say this outright, but that's what they just push your feelings down. You, you just do what you're told to do. You just obey God. That's all there is to it. And that's not biblical. That's not healthy. You're going to suppress your feelings? That's bad for you. The other, uh, the other view is the modern view. It's liberalism, and it's express your feelings. Let your feelings lead your life. It's desire over duty. By the way, that's insane. I mean, look at our culture today. It's out of control. People just expressing their feelings, living by their feelings, letting their feelings lead their way, follow your heart, be true to yourself. That's insane. That's suicidal. Just got to look at, your, look at our culture. 
And so both of these are very destructive to yourself and others, but the gospel actually teaches us the way of liberty, and the Bible teaches us to process and reorder your feelings through prayer, Bible study, and community, hanging out with other Christians. So you take those feelings that seem to be kind of running off and, uh, with you, and, and you bring them back and you reorder them. Most of our problems fundamentally are disordered feelings or disordered loves, and... Uh, and so the Bible actually teaches this, that desire and duty are one and the same pursuit. I love what John Newton says. He says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. They're, they're one and the same pursuit. So living for God's glory, that's our duty. That's why God created us, is to live for his glory, live according to his word, so living for God's glory, that's our duty, satisfies the deepest longing of our soul. That's our desire. Do you hear that? You'll never be fully satisfied unless you live for his glory. And God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And you're most satisfied in him when you live for his glory. And you realign and reorder your, your emotions and your feelings according to what his word says. I mean, think about it. It's God's word. He's speaking to us. He's telling us how he wants us to live our lives. And, and it's a great way to live. It's, it's truly living life to its fullest. And you'll be unbelievably satisfied when you do that. Now, David gives us four reasons for his feelings. And what I've found in my own life that when I... When I get rid of the pretense I, I, and I'm open with God, if I'm honest with God and as he, if I'm real with God, he'll be real with me. What I'm able to do is be, be able to start uncovering why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And so David gives us some things that he's coming up with as he's kind of expressing his feelings to God. Here's the first thing. David gives us four reasons for his feelings. First one is prolonged suffering. He says four times, four times in those first two verses. How long? How long, how long, how long? He says that four times. It's like, this is prolonged suffering. Prolonged suffering. You, you think this is gonna be an easy, you know, easy thing to get through and, and it becomes something that's very chronic. Maybe it's something physical that you're struggling with. Maybe it's kind of working through some issues with family members or maybe it's a job situation or maybe you're working with somebody that's just... Antagonistic towards you, and you just it's it beats you daily over time through suffering. You can get to a place where you feel that you are abandoned by God. How long, oh God? He says that four times, first two verses. How long will you forget me forever? That's verse one. First part of that. Will you forget me forever? Here's the second one, absence of God's manifested presence. Absence of God's manifested presence. Verse 1b, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, when the Bible talks about the face of God, it's actually talking about this level of intimacy, interaction, personal relationship with God, the face of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Number six yeah, we want the face of God. We want this face-to-face -face interaction with God. We want to know the God of the galaxies and have that experience. And, and it's more than just kind of knowing it in your head. It's having a sense of his presence on your heart is what David is talking about. How long will you hide your face from me? Here's what I've learned in my own life. Once you've tasted the presence of God, 
his absence can be unbearable, especially during prolonged suffering. If you've never experienced the, the, the manifested presence of God in your life, you don't know what I'm talking about. See, there's a difference between omnipresence of God, where God is everywhere present, we know the Bible teaches that, and the manifested presence of God. It's one thing to know he's everywhere present up here in your head, but the manifested presence is to have a sense of his presence on your heart. You know in your heart. I mean, faith rises, courage gets big in your life because you have, you have a sense that he's for me. He's not against me. He loves me. No one adores me like him. There's that overwhelming sense I'm face-to-face with the creator, and that can happen a lot of ways. It can happen through a worship song. It can happen through the study of God's work. It can happen through community when people are speaking truth to you, and all of a sudden, bam, it hits you. You go, yes, I was having a hard time seeing that. I see that he, he is here. He loves us. And there can be that overwhelming sense right here when we gather regularly. There's a dynamic of his presence that we can experience here. If you've never experienced that, you don't even know what I'm talking about. I pray that you do have that experience, but that's what he's praying for. There's this absence of God's manifested presence. Psalm 42, I've seen it on coffee mugs, and and everybody thinks it's, oh, this is such a delightful little verse. As the deer pants for the streams of water, how my soul pants for you, O God. Isn't that wonderful? That deer is about to die, okay? That's what's wrong. That's not wonderful. In fact, deers don't typically go hunt for water when they're dying of thirst. They don't wait that long. So to have a deer dying of thirst, it's because they have gone to the watering hole and it is dry. It is dry. And this deer is, as the deer pants for the streams of water, how my soul pants for you, O God. I read my Bible, I prayed, I went to small group, I even went to church, and Lord, I'm dry. I know you're with me, but I don't know it here. Speak to me. Help me. And that's what he's struggling with. Here's the next one, dark thoughts and emotions. So David's given us four reasons for his feelings. And so he's, he's just telling God his feelings. Tell him what you're feeling, and as he's doing that, so, so prolonged suffering, absence of God's manifested presence, and then dark, dark thoughts and emotions. That's verse 2a. Listen to what he says. How long must I take counsel on my soul? So he's like, man, I'm, I'm trying to encourage myself. I'm trying to watch my thoughts. But man, I'm just getting pounded with dark thoughts, and it's stirring up negative emotions. And he says, and have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day. This is why it tells us in Proverbs 4.23, listen to this, he says this, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else? Yeah, 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 listen, above anything else, you better guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The heart is the control center of your entire self. The Bible uses the word heart some eight, nine hundred times. Really, really important. Your heart involves, it, it's your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, and, and, and your hopes and your dreams and your loves. It's all right there in your heart. But, but the important thing I want us to focus on here is it's, it's really, you've got to understand your thoughts. What, what are you thinking? What's going on? Above all else, guard your heart because it determines the direction you're going to go in life. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it even kind of gives this kind of, kind of warfare kind of an attitude. This is what the... Uh, what 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, take captive every thought and bring it into the obedience of Christ. So the idea here is almost kind of the spiritual warfare, that you're chasing down your thoughts. Your thoughts are running off with you. Negative, dark thoughts that are stirring up negative emotions. And he says, you better chase those thoughts down and bring them back into the obedience of Christ or they're going to take you out. They're going to take you out. That's why it also tells us in uh, Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So he's teaching us, this is the filtering system for your thoughts. You need to take captive every thought. This is the filtering system for your thoughts. By the way, the context of, of the fourth chapter there of Philippians of that verse, the verses that precede that, is he says this, don't be anxious about anything. Anybody here ever get anxious? Anybody? Show of hands? Show of hands? Okay. Everybody should be raising their hand. Okay. All of us get anxious. Some of you guys, tough guys, deny it. I don't ever get anxious. Then why are you so uptight? Why are you interacting the way you interact? Okay. Enough said there, but we all get anxious. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Listen to what he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Take it to God. He'll bring his peace, and now you better guard your thoughts. Filter those thoughts. Filter those thoughts. Why, why is that? Because you are no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. What kind of thoughts are depressed people thinking? Depressing thoughts. What kind of uh, thoughts are anxious people thinking? Anxious thoughts, yeah, I mean, just you, you could follow it right back. You're, there's something going on that's triggering that, that anxiety, that anger, that bitterness, and that depression, that sadness. You are no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. And also he talks about our emotions here. Did you notice that, what David says? How long... Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? He's talking about his emotions. These thoughts are stirring up all kinds of negative emotions. Here's what you need to know. I wish I would have learned this years ago, but now I do, and it really helps me out tremendously, and I've taught you this. Let me remind you of it. Emotions reveal your values and evaluations and influence motives and conduct. So if I want to kind of know what, what's really important to you, all I need to do is hang out with you. What do you get excited about? Yeah, my team won. Okay, that, you value that. Woohoo! That's, I, 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 didn't have, I had my coffee here earlier, so I was going to grab it, but I've, I've already drank it. But I love that coffee. Woo! Good coffee. I love good coffee shops. What do I value? Good coffee shops. I don't like bad coffee shops, okay? I like good coffee shops. So what, what's important to you? Your values are seen in your emotional response to those things. Not only that, your evaluations are revealed in your emotions, how you're evaluating life. So listen to me. It's not the events of your life that, that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's your evaluation of those events. Don't blame the circumstances. It's what you're saying to yourself about those circumstances. It's the kind of thoughts. So if you're extremely anxious, angry, depressed, it's not the circumstances. 
It's your evaluation. And guess what? You're failing to add into the equation of your evaluation. God is for you and not against you. He'll see you through this. You need to add him to that. And so that's, that's part of it. That's important. Emotions reveal your values and evaluations and influence your motives and conduct. Here's the, here's the fourth one. My enemies are getting the best of me. So David is, gives us four reasons for f- his feelings, feeling abandoned by God. My enemies are getting the best of me. Look at verse 2b. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, we all have probably enemies. David had some enemies. His, King Saul was his enemy, and his military was coming after him to kill him. And maybe you have an enemy or two physically. Maybe it's a, it's a co-worker that dis, they despise you. Maybe it's a neighbor, you know, that you live in, in that neighborhood. They, they're just coming after you, attacking you all the time, saying mean things about you. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a family member. I mean, it, it could be any, any number of people. But those are all certainly enemies, but there's a much, much worse enemy that we're, we're grappling with, more, more than anything. The Bible makes this clear because the Bible says, sixth chapter of Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not the flesh and blood that we're really wrestling with. There's something much deeper. There's a supernatural enemy that's coming after us. That's why it tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's coming after you. He's going to take you out. If you're a Christian, you've got a target on you. He's going to devour you. And guess where he's going to take you out? Right here. Your thoughts, your heart. As it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. They just flat out can't see what you're all excited about when you talk about Jesus. But what does he do to believers? Well, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says that I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that somehow your minds may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Here's what he's, here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying to you. He's going to accuse you. He's going to come after you. He's going to work you hard. And uh, I was reading, as I was reading through um, uh, part of my reading, I'm almost finished up with the New Testament, and I, I continue to work through the Old Testament, New Testament. I read five Psalms, one proverb, and then I read a text in the Old Testament, read one in the New Testament. And here recently, I'm, I'm in the book of Revelation, and in the book of Revelation, there was this verse that just popped off the page to me, really stood out to me, and it talked about our adversary and referred to him as the accuser of our brothers. You guys familiar with that, what I'm talking about? So, so, okay, so here's what he's, this is what he's up to. He's trying to convince you that God is not for you. Of course you feel abandoned because he never was there. And if you feel abandoned, it's because you're probably not even a Christian anyway. He's accusing you. Here's another way that he accuses you. Look what he did to Adam and Eve. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. He doesn't love you. He doesn't adore you. He couldn't care less about you. And in fact, you'll be happier just to set aside all this spiritual stuff, this religious stuff, this Christian stuff, 
You don't need that. You'll be happier by chasing your own feelings and what you find in your own heart. You don't need that as a standard for your life. He's accuser. So he tries to blind the minds of unbelievers, and he's going to work hard to lead astray your hearts from Christ, your sincere and pure devotion to him, finding your deepest satisfaction in God. He's going to try to convince you of otherwise. No, you're going to find it out there somewhere. God's holding out on you. He's holding, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he's going to do that, especially when you're going through suffering and it's prolonged suffering. You're going to, you're going to feel like you're, beat, you're being beat to death and you're going to go, oh, why is this happening? What's going on? You're going to start second guessing yourself. He's going to come after you because he's going to take you out. He wants you to defect from the faith. I've seen people do that because they don't know how to process that. They don't know how to work through this. So what's, what's the answer found in the 12th chapter of Revelation? This is so cool. He says, I was reading through this. So he's accuser of the brethren. The battle's in our heart, our mind, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. You know what that means? I do have access to the throne of God. I am in right standing with God because of what Jesus has done. He will never, ever leave me or forsake me because of the blood of Christ, because of what Christ has done. It's not based on my performance. Yes, I'm a mess, but I rely on Christ's performance for me, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, they preached that gospel to their hearts and minds and to everybody else, even if it meant their death. Notice what it says. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Even if it kills me, I'm clinging to him no matter how I feel. That's what's, what they're saying here. So it tells us in James 4, 7, it says this, resist the devil and he will, he will flee from you. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. Quit laying down and taking it from the enemy. Stand up and fight Chase down those thoughts. Bring every thought into captivity of Jesus Christ. Start filtering your thoughts. You are no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. Get around Christians that will speak truth to you in love and stir that up within you. You've got to fight. Don't lay down and take it. Fight. This is what David is doing. He's working through this. He's fighting. He's trying to understand, why am I feeling like this? And so we start off by telling him what we're feeling. And here's the second one. And you'll notice a, a transformation in the tone. There's a, the tone begins to change. Ask him for what you're needing. Tell him what you're feeling. Ask him for what you're needing. So remember, feelings and needs, that deeper level of, of communication. This is verses 3 and 4. The more you are in touch with your feelings, the more you will know what you are needing to get through the hard times. So the more, the more you are in touch with your feelings, the more you're going to know exactly what you're needing. And by the way, our feelings are so jacked up. I think guys more than gals, some gals are, tend to be a little bit more in touch with their feelings, and guys tend to really struggle with this. And, and it's so critical to kind of know what the heck is going on here inside of me? How am I really feeling? And, uh, and bringing it to God and maybe even talking it with a, a trusted friend where you can express those feelings with them. They can love you and support you. 
Because the more you are in touch with your feelings, the more you will know what you are needing to get through the hard times. See, what you're wanting to do, that as you have time with God, is you're wanting to take the truths of God and apply them specifically to where your heart is most restless. But if you don't know where your heart is most restless, how are you going to take the truths of God and apply them specifically to, to that point in your life? And, and so uh, there's oftentimes, I know exactly where I'm feeling, and there will be specific verses that I will go to in the scripture that will, that will console me and help me. I know exactly, and oftentimes that's what counseling is. Counseling, you're sitting down with a friend, and they're beginning to share your feelings, their feelings, and then you take them to a text of scripture that, bam, it's exactly what they needed. It's exactly what they needed to hear. And you're able to minister to them. It's applying the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done to us specifically to where my, my heart is most restless. And, and that's, that's what he's doing here. Now, here's what you need to keep in mind also is that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness. This is the same guy that we just studied last week in Psalm 8. Remember Psalm 8? When I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the stars and the moon, how you have set them in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? (laughs) I love this. He's on cloud nine, and now where is he? This is crazy. He's saying, how long, O Lord, will you abandon me forever? This is the same guy that said, you're mindful of me, you care for me, you visit me, and and now he's saying, how long? Is David schizophrenic? (laughs) Yes, and you are too. (laughs) We all are. That's, That's the roller coaster of our emotions. He's just showing us how to process this stuff, to reorder, to process and reorder our emotions according to God's word, encountering God, knowing God, experiencing God. And uh, so our, our problem, our problem is not trying to persuade God to fill us with his presence, but to want him badly enough that it crowds out all distractions and other competing interests. Listen to me. If you want him badly enough, if you want him badly enough, he will come and manifest himself to you. That's a promise in God's word. 29.13 of Jeremiah, you will seek me. This is words from God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There's almost, you've got to get to a place in your life where it's that painful. That's where David is. He's, he's in pain. And he's going to set aside any distractions. Forget the TV, forget the internet, forget all this stuff, all these amusements. They haven't helped me in in any way. But I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to pour my heart out to him. I'm going to look to him. And I know that he will meet me because he promised. He promised to meet me. So this is what's interesting about what he says here, three three points under this one, is that this is not a circumstance-enhancement prayer. When you look at his prayer here, as he's praying and asking God for what he needs, this is not circumstance. You guys know what circumstance enhancement prayer? So that's typically what I would have prayed. I would have prayed like this. I would have said, God, kill Saul. In fact, kill Saul and all of the guys that are coming after me right now. In fact, all of my enemies. In fact, God, here, I've got a hit list here for you. Here's all the people I want you to take care of. And would you please get them out of my life because they're really causing major problems for me. 
It's so hard for me to stay focused on you. And I, said, and I gave him a hit list, and then I said, hey, God, it's really up to you. It can be a drone strike if you want to do that, or, a, or lightning strike, or any number of things like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. But David doesn't pray that, that prayer. It's not a circumstance enhancement prayer. There's nothing wrong with circumstance enhancement prayers. But this is a character enhancement prayer. He realizes that God wants to, wants to build him and meet him right here. In fact, it's even beyond that. It's not just character enhancement prayer because that's what really ultimately gets us through any kind of trials, but it's a, it's a God entrancement prayer. God, I need to be entranced by you. Listen to what he says. Here's the first one. I need to hear from you. This is my needs, God. I need to hear from you. Look at verse 3a. Consider and answer me. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Jesus said it he was, while he was being tempted. He quoted Old Testament here, and he said in Matthew 4, 4, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what? I think it's really cool that you take good care of yourself, that you, uh, you, you, you get a lot of sleep at night, and you eat the right kind of foods, and you're exercising. Hey, hey that's good. That's needed. That's important. But guess what? You're more than just a physical being. You're a spiritual being. You're a soul being, and you are desperate, whether you realize it or not, to hear from God, to have him speak to your heart. When was the last time you had a sense that God spoke to you? I'm not talking audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice. I'm talking about a sense of him speaking to you specifically to where you are. You've, you've had that experience before where you're reading through Scripture and bam, there's a verse that hits you and it's exactly what you needed to hear. And it went from your head down into your heart and you knew he was speaking to you. There's no denying it. That's what he's saying. I need to hear from you. Here's the next. I need my spiritual eyes opened. Verse 3b, he says, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. I'm gonna, this is going to take me out. It's going to kill me. Verse 4a, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over you. So what is he praying here? Light up my spiritual eyes, God, so that I can see you even in the dark and not become spiritually apathetic and miss the way in which you are leading. Because why? Darkness, depression, feeling abandoned by God causes us to be somewhat apathetic causes us to sleep spiritually. It's like, man, I'm doing everything. I just feel like giving up. I just feel apathetic about God. I don't know what he's doing in my life. And that's why he's saying, light up my spiritual eyes, God, so that I can see you even in this darkness. And here's what happens. I know this is what happens to me. When you are spiritually enlightened, your eyes sparkle and your face brightens because you just know, you know that God's for you and not against you. He's bigger than whatever you're facing. You realize that. I love what uh, Paul says. He's praying for the church in Ephesus, and he's praying this. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, and, and I'm paraphrasing it here, so that, you, so that you would see the riches we have in Christ Jesus. And you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. They, they're Christians. They know the riches that they have. And Paul would say, no, 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 they don't. No, 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 they do. They're Christians. No, they don't. They, they know here, but they don't know here. And I'm praying that, the, that their eyes of their hearts, that, that they would be enlightened so that they could see the wealth that they have in Christ Jesus. 
because I can tell by the way they're responding to the events of life and how they're working through all that because they don't, they don't see that God is, is for them and not against them. They need their spiritual eyes opened. They need the Christian truths in their head to become real to their heart. Uh, there's a great example of this found in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Syria is warring against Israel and have surrounded the city of Dothan where the prophet Elisha is. Now, Elisha's servant is terribly frightened, and he, and he should be, because he, he's just looking physically. He's gone. these guys are going to take us out. They're going to kill us. They're surrounded the city. We're in big trouble and that was the servant of Elisha, and, and terribly frightened. And so Elisha tells him not to be afraid because those who are with us are greater than those who are with them, their enemies. And I've said that to people before, and they just, it didn't, didn't, didn't click. The coins didn't drop. And they were like, oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know God's for us, but I'm still freaking out. And they don't get it. So this is what's interesting about this text, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So his servant's eyes were open. He goes, oh, my goodness, why am I so stressed out? I don't need to be. That's why David is praying. I need to hear from you, and I need my spiritual eyes enlightened so that I can see you even in dark times and difficulties. And here's the third thing that he, he asked for. I need to be unshakable. I need to be unshakable. Listen, look at verse 4b. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's admitting something here. I'm rattled by this. I'm all shaken up. And I don't want my foes to even see me shaking like I, I, I shouldn't be shaking. For someone who believes in God, I shouldn't be rattled like I am. There's a number of years ago, my, uh, my sister was going in for a second surgery. The doctors had really botched the first one. She was in extreme pain. She was dreading the surgery. And I, I remember uh, Nancy and I going in to minister to her. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly a verse that I had memorized years ago that's been always helpful for me. It's, uh, it's Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The psalmist is saying that, making that declaration. So I began to share that with her and then began to pray that over her. Just said, hey, listen. I have set the Lord always before me. This is what David says. I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The Lord is with you. He's for you. Set the Lord before you. Fix your eyes on him, the author and the finisher of your faith. And because he's at your right hand, because he's with you, he's going to go with you through this surgery. He will not abandon you. And I began to share that, and by the time she, they were wheeling her in for surgery, I mean, you can almost see a, just a, a transformation. She went from kind of a, a bit of anxiety to just this peace. I've set the Lord always before for me, and because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Psalm 55, 22 is another verse that I've relied on regularly. You've got to have some of these verses in your arsenal, you know? That's why you've got to me memorize verses and have that, so you've got something to pull out of your arsenal and fight with. And it's uh, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. Who are the righteous anyway? Does it, is it somebody that has their act together and it's like perfect in every way? 
Because that would pretty much rule out all of us here, wouldn't it? Yep, it would. So guess what? It's uh, the righteous are those that put their faith in God, that God is our salvation. It's through Christ Jesus. Those are the righteous. It's an imputed righteousness and an imparted righteousness. He's, he's going to make us righteous. He's going to make us right as he continues to work in our life. So cast your burden. Listen to me. Maybe you need to hear that. In the first two, last night's service, the first morning service, I had a, a number of people come up to me and said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Maybe you're here and you need to hear that. Listen to me. Cast your burdens upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. You don't need to be rattled by your circumstances. You don't need to be shaken. This is what he's saying. That's a promise. That's for us, the righteous. Take that promise and begin to apply it to your life. That's what he's asking for. Lord, I don't want to be shaken. I want to be unshakable. And so tell him what you're feeling, ask him for what you're needing, and then trust him to fulfill his promises. That's verses five and six. It just gets better as you work through this psalm. Really, this is amazing. Now, I need to say this because I was reading in the Old Testament not too long ago, and this verse, and we'd studied through Exodus before, but this is one of those verses that came after me, and I really thought about it, and I thought, this really applies to this message, and it's found in Exodus 6, 9. Now, keep in mind, Exodus is where Moses is called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of their Egyptian bondage and abuse. They are being abused, and God comes in and sets them free so that Moses could lead them into the promised land. And, and so Moses shows up and says this to the people. This is in Exodus 6, 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. So he's sharing God's big vision for them to rescue them, to take care of them, to lead them to the promised land. And Moses spoke thus to the people, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. What is that saying? That you can be so beat up by life, so hurt, that even when someone speaks truth to you, you're unable to really embrace it fully, that you're going to need a time of recovery. And so what do you do? I mean, all of us have had friends where we're trying to speak truth to them, but they're so beat up by life, they can't hear it. So what do you do? You, speak, you keep speaking the truth in love over time. It's going to take some time. You've got to be okay with that. I've had people come in here at Desert Breeze, and, and I've seen people who, who aren't Christians, weren't Christians, and it would take them sometimes even up to six months before they really, really hear the gospel. Even nominal Christians, they thought they were Christians, they'd come in here, and after about six months, it finally dawns on them, and they go, I thought I knew it, but now, but now I know it. I, I, I know it. I mean, they're like, they're filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy, because when it hits your heart, and you understand what you have in Christ, oh my goodness, you're through the roof. And I can always tell when I look at it, I go, yeah, you do. You got it. You got it. It's gone down deep into your heart. You're beginning to understand that. And that's, sometimes that's, it takes time. It takes, so just keep that in mind. It takes time. Maybe you're here. I'm speaking this. We're teaching this. And you're just like, it's just like, ah, it doesn't phase me. It's because you're broken. Allow God to bring healing to you. Continue to come in here and hang out with us. Get involved in a small group. Let, let people come continue to speak truth and love to you. And over time, it will bring healing to you. 
Let God bring healing to your heart. Here's what you need to keep in mind is that the foundation of faith is thinking. So if you want to work through some difficulties in your life, you want to get those truths down deep in your heart, you got to start with the old noggin here. you got to start here. you got to say, okay, what, what's true about, about God? See, it's truth entering the head. Who is God? What has he done for me? Who am I in light of that? So truth entering the head, igniting the heart, and outworking through the hands. It's not going to outwork through your hands. It's not going to change your behavior or change your feelings until you really know the truth. It's the truth that brings freedom to your life. I was talking to a couple different people this last week that lost their jobs. And one in particular, this particular guy was, was actually managing it quite well. And so I was just, I was kind of processing it with him a little bit. And I just said, hey, so let me ask you this. He already had all this down, but I was just, I was kind of doing it for myself, I think. But because he was, he had it down. As I said, so who's God? Well, he's the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. Bingo, you're right. And what has he done for you? Well, he's rescued me. I've been reconciled to, to, the, to the Father through Jesus and through what Jesus has done for me. Yes, that's good. So who are you in light of that? Well, I'm a child of God. What does that mean? He'll protect you. He'll provide for you. He's got your bases covered. Exactly. And so how would that change the way that you are responding currently to your current situation? That's going to make a world of difference. And that guy was right, right there already. So the foundation of faith is thinking. You're thinking out the implications of, of your faith. That's what, what you do in counseling. As you sit down with a friend, you're kind of helping them to process this. And so it is believing he is who he said he is and will do what he has promised to do. So who is God, and what does he promise to do? You go back to that. That's the foundation of faith. This is what C.S. Lewis says, faith is holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So you keep coming back to that. You go, hey, this is what the Bible says. He wrote it down. This is who I am in Christ. So, so what, does, what does God promise his people? Here's the first one, steadfast love. Okay, this will help us transition uh, for communion here this morning. I would like to spend a month just talking about his steadfast love right here, okay? But uh, my wife said last night I went way too long, and so I needed to cut it back. So here's the edited version of this. And, and, but I think, I think you'll understand it just by the little bit that I'm sharing with you. And so here's what it says. He says, it, look at verse 5a, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is hesed, and it's covenant love and loyalty. So let me ask you this question real quick. I just want you to think about this answer. Are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? Don't answer. Don't answer out loud. Just think about it just for a minute. Are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? This is really important to understand his steadfast love. Now turn to the person next to you and see how they would answer that. Real quick, do that. Do that real quick. Okay, here's the answer. Here's your answer. So are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Because on the cross, Jesus absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law so that God could love you absolutely unconditionally. Do you hear that? He doesn't love us because we are lovable, but in order to make us lovable. Remember, religion, religion, legalism says, I obey, therefore God accepts me, he blesses me. Yeah, that's religion. There's churches that teach that right here in the community. 
And then there's irreligion or liberalism, and there's churches that teach this too. God accepts me and blesses me, therefore I don't have to obey. That's called liberalism. Covenant relationship, the gospel, or this liberty that he brings us to, is that God accepts me and blesses me in Christ, therefore I want to obey. And what it does is it creates something within us, two things, paradoxical obedience and then absolute trust in him. Paradoxical obedience is this, because I've been so blessed by God, I avoid sin like crazy, because that's what put him on the cross, not only that, the Ten Commandments and how he wants me to live is consistent with his character, but it comes from his perfect love and infinite wisdom and how he wants me to live. So I'm going to avoid sin like crazy. But when I fall into sin, and I will fall into sin, I will struggle with that, what do I do? Well, there's no condemnation. I don't beat myself up over it, but I come back running into his arms. I repent and believe as he continues to sanctify my life. So I repent and believe. And, and, and over time, I begin to develop the, a fear of the Lord, which is to hate what is evil, Proverbs 8, 13. And so it creates this paradoxical obedience. I don't obey him to get his blessing. I have his blessing. Therefore, I obey him and honor him. And when I fall and fail, I come right back right back into his arms, open arms. He loves me as he continues to transform my life. But it creates this absolute truth or absolute trust in him. If he is willing to die in my place for my sins, what more could anyone do than that? So I'm gonna trust him. He gave his life for me. Of course I'm gonna trust him with my whole life. He knows what's in my best interest. I love what the Jesus Storybook Bible said, says. Sally Lloyd-Jones, she defines it like this. It's really good, great definition. You gotta read the children's books sometimes to really understand these big, heavy theological terms like steadfast love, okay? So this is what she says. This is steadfast love, a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing, it's good, that's you, that's I. Me and you, both together, a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I was reading Psalm 136 here recently, and I was reminded that in 26 verses, it says this 26 times in these 26 verses covering every circumstance of life that you could cover. His steadfast love endures forever, 26 times. His steadfast love endures forever. So every morning when you wake up, that's the first thing that you should say to yourself, his steadfast love endures forever. He's with me, he's for me, he loves me, he's gonna see me through this. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Even if you meditated on it throughout the day, allowing him to speak to you through that. And here's the next one, salvation. So steadfast love, I almost wanted to keep going on that one, that first one. Steadfast love, but now salvation. Look at what he says in verse 5b. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Listen to what the Hebrew word is for uh, salvation. See if you, you know what this word is. The, the word is Yeshua, Jesus. His name shall be called Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. That's Matthew 1.21. God is our salvation. Yesterday's failures, today's burdens, Tomorrow's uncertainties are no match for God's saving grace working for you, in you, and through you. I love what uh, I read in a Spurgeon devotional not too long ago. He said, it is a terrible unkindness in our conduct when we put so little confidence in our heavenly Father who has never failed us and who never will. 
Listen to me. Everybody look up here. He has never failed you, and he never will. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to fail you. And guess what? That will lead to eventually you're going to look back on these circumstances, this feeling abandonment, and you're going to do a ton of singing. That's your last one. I will sing to the Lord, verse 6, because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's almost like I'm going to get to a place, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to look back on it, and I'm going to be celebrating about his bountiful work in and through my life. Jesus was abandoned for you on the cross so that you never will be. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for communion here this morning. So, Father God, when we go through times of feeling abandoned by you, may we learn how to tell you what we're feeling, ask you for what we're needing, and more than anything else, trust you to fulfill your promise of steadfast love and salvation and know that we will eventually get through this and we'll be singing of how you have dealt bountifully with us. As we now sing and take communion, reminding us that Jesus was abandoned for us on the cross so that we, we never will be, may that truth not just be clear to our minds but real to our hearts. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. So just take a moment uh, here, listen to this song, just kind of bask in the reality of what he's done for you, and then I will invite you up in just a few moments to uh, pick up the communion elements.